Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh, clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. We've got a special one for you today. we got uh, a guy on who I've been following for many years, Mr. Ryan Kirby. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing great, fellas. I've uh, really, uh, really liked your podcast, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. Cool to be on the show with you. Yes, sir. Got the ginger bow hunter here. Oh, yeah. Listen. I don't know why we call him that, man. He doesn't bow hunt. Uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, easy there. 
Redemption for 2023. No, uh, Ron, super excited to have you on the podcast, man. So uh, it's kind of funny. It's like when uh, I, I guess it was uh, Madison had reached out originally, uh, or we had talked. I talked to Madison about uh, getting you on the podcast and everything because you've actually been on our list for a little while now. And it's kind of funny because how yeah. often I see you guys on social media, both like with your own personal posts uh, and the brand's posts, but also uh, just y'all's social media campaigns, dude. I mean, listen, second to none, my man. Yeah. So y'all are doing a great yeah. job there. We, we've got to talk about with the listeners just early on what when we're talking about with ryan kirby can you talk a little bit about your brand and people that aren't familiar with y'all's brand when it comes to the art that y'all provide for you know outdoorsmen that are as passionate as we are um and then we'll get a little bit more to your background on this episode yeah man um so i'm a, a wildlife artist i uh you know i've been doing it since i was a kid and uh had a lot of early success in the junior duck stamp program, went to college, got a degree in design. We can get into that later, but you know, really I just, I, I paint, um, things that I love to hunt that I'm passionate about, which usually translates to deer, turkey, um, some elk, some upland game, but, uh, yeah, man, we, we produce a lot of variety of, of original art, uh, canvas prints, paper prints, posters. We have some licensing and, uh, yeah, I, I, I was talking on an earlier podcast. We have our own too. Um, you know, my goal is to bring the outdoors indoors and, and contribute to the atmosphere of hunt camp and, and really help people display their passion for the outdoors and for hunting on their wall. So that's kind of what we do. And, um, we've been at it for a little over a decade now. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And so I heard about you originally it was from Andrew. So Andrew's actually got one of your prints here. We were talking about that earlier and, uh, kind of the background, how I had learned about you is Andrew's talking about your background with NWTF when you were mm-hmm. working with them. Um, and then how you kind of started doing more of your stuff on your, on your own. What is your background? You're talking about like back in school, uh, you know, went to school for design. How did that kind of apply for you when it came to, uh, overall art and what was the industry you really originally got into before you kind of started doing everything kind of on your own and get more into the art side of everything? Yeah. Well, I studied graphic design and multimedia in college. And so I was in college, I went to college in 2000 and multimedia was like the initial forms of web design. Like, I don't know how much you know about that kind of stuff, but like uh, Dreamweaver, Flash, uh, all the macro media stuff before Adobe bought them. But I learned graphic design, which is uh, like print ads layout, print ads, catalogs, anything that you see in a printed form, um, especially in those days and when the heyday of the print industry was done by a graphic designer. So they take the photos, edit the photos, the copy, lay all that stuff out, make it look pretty. And then the multimedia side was like the early forms of web design, so the digital space. And uh, <clears throat> I graduated with degrees in that, and I always knew that I wanted to do wildlife art full-time one day. But, you know, I'm a blue collar kid, grew up on a farm and I'm like, I, I don't know how to do that. Like, I don't, I don't know what that looks like. You know, I wasn't really formally trained in fine art or anything. So I got the, the degrees in graphic design thinking I'm going to go get a skill that I can like bring to an employer, bring to an agency or something and uh, got those degrees. And at the time they had a job opening at the National Wild Turkey Federation and I actually answered a classified in the back of Turkey Call magazine to get the first job. Um, I'd attended a bunch of local banquets and donated art to them. And so I had a letter of recommendation from the state, one of the state board members of the Turkey Federation chapter. And um, they gave me a letter of recommendation and they needed a designer. So I applied and got the job. And so my first seven years in the industry, I was doing 
uh, graphic design, illustration, and then some web design. So one of the things I did there was I illustrated, it was Rob Keck's column in the back of Turkey Call. And then later it became Tom Kelly's column. So I would do like the cartoon type illustration. And then I would do a bunch of, you know, more realistic, like how to build a box blind type diagrams and stuff. And then laying out the magazines and print ads and everything. So they, they, those were cool years, man. Like back in the early days of the Turkey Federation, it was awesome. And exactly how many years did you work for the Federation? Uh, a total of about seven. And um, <clears throat> what, the, what the Turkey Federation did is at that time, they were hiring like really young, talented people. And it became like a revolving door of, of writers and designers and editors and videographers and stuff. And so, I mean, I remember in our, in our communications department, we had seven graphic designers. They probably had that many writers. Uh, they have a video department of five or six guys, but like they were from Louisiana, Oklahoma, Mississippi, Wisconsin, West Virginia. Uh, I, I mean, we had people from all over the country and you know, when I grew up in a real small town and when, when like I got the job at the Turkey Federation, you'd have thought I got drafted into the NFL. Like people thought it was like super cool, you know, to go work there. And, and all of us that were working there were like kind of starstruck, like, man, we're at the Turkey Federation, you know, like we made it. Um, and we were all young. We were from all over the country. And, you know, what happens is like a nonprofit can't pay all that well. Amazing place to work. We had a great office vibe. We, we train labs in the pond at lunch. You know, I mean, the Turkey Federation had probably 150 people there working in Edgefield at the time. And uh, so great office environment. But what happened was, is people would, were getting hired away. So they, it was kind of like a springboard. It was how people got into the industry. And so, you know, a, a talented writer would go on a writer's hunt for the Turkey Federation and get scooped up by another company or another agency. And <clears throat> you know, we were, we were burning through people about every six, eight months, somebody would come and go. And what happened for me was, is those people would go to work for an agency or a marketing department or somewhere else in the outdoor industry. And then they would kick freelance work back to me because, you know, they knew I had an ability. Um, and I also understood hunting, which for an artist can be kind of rare, you know? So like, if they needed an illustration on how a, a revolving pistol worked, well, I knew how that worked and they didn't have to explain it to me. I could just illustrate it for them. Um, so I started picking up a lot of freelance work nights and weekends. And then it got to be a point where I had more freelance work than I, I had more than I could do first off. Um, but you know, I was making more money and enjoying it more than I, my full-time job. And my wife and I were dating we didn't have any kids. And I thought, man, if I don't go out on my own and give this a shot working for myself, I never will. And so in, um, 2012, um, I launched out on my own doing freelance work. Now, before we get into that, cause I'm, we're going to talk about that a whole bunch. I, I want to talk to you about, talk to you about your hunting yeah. background. Um, you know, it's like you said, like it's maybe not as common <clears throat> that a ton of the artists, uh, or people that do more artistry side of everything are, are big outdoorsmen as well and spend a ton of time out there and also kind of understand kind of what mm -hmm. the end user's going to be looking for. Um, talk a little bit about your background. Like, where are you originally from, but also how did you get into hunting and what were like your early passions as a hunter? I mean, were you in waterfowl, whitetails? I mean, what was kind of like your background, especially kind of growing up and how that transferred after school? Yeah, so I actually grew up in Western Illinois and um, grew up on a farm there. 
uh, we had 150 acres. Uh, we did corn, soybeans, wheat. Uh, we whitetail hunted, which, you know, um, bow hunting really got popular when I was like 11, 12, like right in that wheelhouse, you know? So my dad and I actually got our bows together. Like we went, there was a guy that was ran a bow shop out of his garage and um hooked us up with a bow and my dad and i started to we learned a bow hunt together um we learned a turkey hunt together um and then my younger brother got worked into the mix too so the three of us really got started there and and you know back then it was like it was a lot of man drives in the midwest shotgun season um we'd go they'd say you'd, you'd go sit which means you sat on a five gallon bucket in a fence row or a, a a little makeshift permanent stand built in a hedge tree and um really that was like the early introduction for me um we had livestock you know and we had three farm ponds i'd go fish in and um that was where i really got my start and so wildlife came before art for me as a wildlife artist. So wildlife was a part of my life long before I recognized I had any ability for art. And so, you know, as a kid, you just naturally like you draw what you love. And mine was deer and turkeys and ducks and stuff like that. Um, we never did waterfowl hunt. I don't really know why we just never really got into it. But, um, as I started, as I grew up, uh, I would go shoot trap on Thursday nights at a local gun club and the guys would recognize I had an ability. And so they'd want me to paint their bird dogs. So what they do is those guys would shoot their round of trap and, you know, start drinking beer and bring in like five by seven glossy printouts from Walmart of their, their bird dogs. And, uh, my high school job in, um, when I was a teenager was I'd bail hay and then I'd paint bird dogs. So that was kind of like the dichotomy of my life was like, you know, total country redneck stuff and fine art, which is really kind of a weird combination. <laughs> but, um, it's an interesting combination. You know, that, that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, my buddies were working at Dairy Queen making milkshakes, and uh, I was at the easel, and I, you know, I'd, like I said, I'd bail hay and do some farm work for people and then, um, and then uh, paint a little bit. So, um, really deer and turkey hunting were like the the core of of my upbringing and and my life and man i just i just fell in love with it you know um i remember going out after turkey season and setting up like an old feather flex decoy and i had an hs strut push button yelper and like a digital camera that didn't even have a zoom it might have even been one of the ones you just wind up and click you know and I remember when I was like 11 going out there, just calling, just trying to call in a turkey to get a picture of it. And that was like the thrill of my life, you know, was, was doing stuff like that. So I've always been fascinated with it. Um, and, uh, since then we've lived in South Carolina and now we live in Boone, North Carolina, and we've lived here for about 10 years. So the same, the same deer and turkey kind of passion that, that was formed early in my childhood is, has stayed with me throughout the whole, throughout my whole life, really. Yeah. Now I, I want to ask about moving around a little bit. Uh, like you said that you yeah. started in Illinois, then went to South Carolina and now you're in North Carolina, which you live in like one of my favorite places in the whole world, Boone, North Carolina, awesome town, yeah. awesome area. Yeah. What was that? What was that like for you growing up in the Midwest? And then from a hunting standpoint, you go to South Carolina. Was there like a little bit of a culture shock there where you're kind of leaving <laughs> that setting and going shock. into uh, going into the thicket? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I grew up in a 
I grew up in a really small town, so I had like 49 kids in my graduating class. And, and you know, the, the hospitality and stuff, the, the people aren't that much different. Um, you know, I went from row crops, corn and soybeans to like peach orchards and stuff like that. And, and um, you know, rows of pine trees. So that that was different. Um, you know, and a lot of people say like I've picked up a Southern accent since I lived in the South, you know, but, uh, I'm, we're going to, we're going to lose some followers right here, but I still say crappie. Like my vocab hasn't changed. I say crappie, uh, don't say y'all nothing like that. But from a hunting standpoint, I mean, dude, it was, it was night and day. You know, I, I went from hunting, uh, private land out my back door uh, to like literally hunting national forest for, for deer and turkey and stuff. And I sucked at it. I, you know, I, it's, uh, <laughs> I feel like, I, I feel like hunting in the South is so much more challenging because like, I'm kind of like a terrain dork and I can look at a topo map and an aerial map of the Midwest and, and I'm pretty good. I can give you the three or four spots and pinch points and inside corners that you can put a stand and kill a buck in the rut. But dude, I'm completely lost. You give me 200 acres of continuous planted pines and like a, a hardwood bottom. I don't even know what I'm doing. You know, I'm just shooting in the dark. Uh, so that was a culture (laughs) shock. I had to learn a lot there from, from buddies and stuff. Um, but yeah, I'd always had, you know, growing up on a farm i had you know private land that we could hunt out the back door and you know our neighboring farmer saw a bunch of turkeys over there the day before so i could go hunt that property and set up on them in the morning and now you're going to south carolina where you had to like go hunt you had to go scout public land and try to find them and deal with competition and stuff like that and uh i was not good at it at all and and Still to this day, I wouldn't say I'm all that good at it. <laughs> I've <laughs> learned a little bit, but um, uh, I went from there to getting you know permission from some buddies, um, and then maybe had a lease or two. And now that we've we've grown, um, I bought a couple of farms in Illinois, and then we have a couple places around here in Boone. So I've kind of run the full gamut, man. Gone from like being the beneficiary of growing up on a private farm to like being broke as a joke and hunting public to like, you know, hunting private and then lease and now owning some land. So I've seen a lot of it. That's cool. Real quick, Ryan, let me ask, what is the difference since you, you've lived out in Western Illinois and then went to South mm-hmm. Carolina for seven years and now North Carolina, what is the difference you see between the actual hunting culture and maybe like the amount of people that hunt and, and maybe like the overall like pressure, like what, what do you feel like was the difference between like Illinois versus like maybe in like South Carolina, both like deer and Turkey. I mean, it, it seemed like almost everybody hunted in, in one place over the other, or like what was kind of the background it came to like the overall, like just the hunting culture, especially Turkey hunting. Cause Turkey hunting has been so huge in the Southeast. Like how did yeah. that kind of compare to what you were dealing with back up in Illinois? Man, that's a good question. There, there's a lot. And again, I went from a rural Illinois to like the Turkey Federation. So everywhere I lived, I was surrounded by hunters. You know what I'm saying? Like in the Midwest, everybody hunted. And at the Turkey Federation, everybody hunted. So I I, I don't know like the difference in hunting very much because I was always just right in the mix of it. Um, but in the Midwest, uh, deer season, and of course, it's changed a lot since like uh, media advertising. Like when I was growing up, Pike County wasn't the golden triangle yet. Nobody knew of it yet. 
uh, bow hunting hadn't gotten big. So like when your media and magazines started taking over, that's when uh, Western Illinois became like the the non-resident destination to go deer hunting and stuff. And it, w- it wasn't that way when I was growing up. Um, we would, uh, we, we did a lot of man drives. We hunted, you know, between, you know, if you had a group of 12 guys between you, your family, your cousins and uncles and your friends, you could pretty much hunt anywhere. Like you had permission to hunt anywhere. And we did, you know, we did drives everywhere. Um, I, this will kind of, this is like an old man story. I'll tell my kids and grandkids, but you could bring your your deer tag in to the opening day of shotgun season, and it was an excused absence from school uh, because we had a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday opening uh, opening shotgun season um, until the girls got uh, pissed at us because all the guys would go deer hunting. So then they lobbied for take your daughter to work day. So the guy <laughs> we would get out of school to take <laughs> our to go deer hunting on shotgun season, and then the following Friday they had take your daughter to work day. So that's how that, that worked there. But so that was kind of a tradition. Turkeys really weren't, um, it was more kind of, uh, it, they were there. So we hunted them, you know, dove season, we'd go hunt doves a little bit, um, just because they were there and it was the first season that opened. But when I moved to the South, the South has much more like traditions, like, dude, there's nothing bigger than the opening day of dove season in the South, you know? And some of those old school guys hunting turkeys in the pines in South Carolina, it's like a, it's like a cult, man. It's like a cult deeply entrenched in tradition. And, um, there's a lot of, uh, more traditional hunting in the South. I feel like, um, like running beagle dogs, like, yeah, we, we'd go hunt rabbits a little bit in the ditches and draws and stuff. But like you have dudes that like their life revolves around hunting rabbits with beagles and stuff like that. And, uh, we just didn't really have that in the Midwest. And so that's one thing I've really appreciated about living in the South and especially at Seawee is tapping into some of those like deep cultural traditions. And, and, um, I think that is really cool and really unique about hunting in the South. Yeah, I was going to say, too, with the cultural aspect of everything, how does that influence your artwork and kind of what you do? Like when you're going to paint, you know, a scene of like a like a buck and a doe or, or a turkey or a wood duck or whatever, like how how does that influence what you do? Yeah, well, when you go to a show like Seaweed, it influences it a ton because, um, you know, over the like I was the featured artist this past year at Seaweed and years before um you're just you're just one of the regular artists, I guess is the best way to say it. But we paid attention to what sell what sold. And um Bob White Quail, um, doves, um, a lot of dogs, those were like our top three sellers. You'd have some some deer and elk, but for the most part it was like those deep southern cultural deals um i painted the beagle chasing a rabbit this year that sold and so when you're doing something like that when you have a specific show that's centered around like southern hunting culture you i I do nothing but rep out quail doves turkeys dogs stuff like that and we did really well there um we do a lot of licensing and when i do a piece like uh uh, a whitetail piece that we're going to, we might make prints of, or we want to license it somewhere else. I'll make it more generic 
for lack of a better term. So it's going to be a little bit more of a Midwestern scene or a fall scene. Um, I did one piece a few years ago I called Southern Gentleman that had um, – it was a, a, a like a solid, you know, 130-inch eight-pointer in velvet with some plain pines in the background and a persimmon tree, and it was like evening sunlight. And that's a piece that I did for, for – seaweed like for the south the like a southern show but for the most part if you're trying to paint something that that has a broader reach you know like it's illegal to kill velvet bucks in a lot of other states and you don't have persimmon trees or planted pine so you keep the background a little bit more generic for lack of a better term like a little bit more nondescript um and so those are things that i think about when i think about painting for different shows or different purposes Okay. I'm always curious when I'm looking through your stuff, like if you just go scroll through your Instagram page, like all the different paintings you've done, like where the inspiration for them comes from, you know, like it, is it, does it come from like something you've seen, uh, like it, like while you're traveling or hunting or or like a picture or whatever, like how do you like find the inspiration to like paint this buck in this scene or or whatever? Well, it's a little bit of both. And, you know, I've always found that inspiration, it kind of comes when you least expect it. Like, um, I don't know. I, I make a lot of analogies about like life and art and hunting, you know, and it's, it's kind of like hunting, man. It's going to happen when you least expect it. So I try to carry a camera with me all the time when I, when I hunt. Um, and there's been numerous scenes that, especially when I'm turkey hunting, because when you're turkey hunting, you're on the ground, you're eye level with what you're going to paint. Um, I like to bow hunt. So a lot of times I'm, you know, 20 feet up a tree and I'm seeing things at a different angle, different perspective. So it's rare that I like see a scene. Like for example, if I'm going to paint a deer scene, it's probably going to be at first light or last light. And it's going to be on the ground, like eye level of a deer. Well, I'm rarely going to be in that position in November. Like I'm going to be in a tree, you know, trying to shoot one. So I'm not going to be walking around taking reference photos and stuff. So, but with turkeys, it works out that way a lot. Like you'll, you know, in the mountains, if you set up on the roost and they pitch off the side of the mountain, they're, they're gone, man. You might as well go find another bird and try to come back and kill him in the middle of the day. So, you know, you might get up to move and turn around and the sun has just come up and you see that scene. And, you know, we've all been there in the woods where you're sitting there and you're like, that's a perfect scene. Like I can just see a strutter with a backlit tail fan in that scene right there. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it in the pines. You're like, God, that was beautiful, man. I could just see those turkeys in that coming up there. And so if what I'll do there is I'll take a, a, a photograph of the scene itself and then I'll buy or use stock photo reference picks and I'll Photoshop those into the scene and then I'll paint from that. Um, sometimes a pose that I've seen, it's like something that I've seen in the wild inspires a painting. Um, I had a few years ago, I, I did a piece called Scrape Line where I had this big, he was probably a three-year-old six-pointer, and um, he came in and he did everything you want him to do. You know, he came in, you know, five, six yards away, made a scrape, hit a licking branch, got up on his hind legs. He's swollen. You know, he was just going to be a mature six-pointer. That's all he was ever going to be. Um, but he did all the things that you want him to do. And when I got back in my studio, I worked with a, a freelance photographer and got some reference for that. And I painted that scene from the ground and it's called scrape line. Um, so those are the two main ways I see an animal's pose that I like, or I see a scene that I like that I think wildlife will fit into. Um, 
and then every now and then I, I'll, I'll come up with a, uh, with an idea and then I'll have to find reference material uh, or make it up as I go and try to create a scene that's in my head that wasn't inspired by anything other than I think it's going to be cool. When you think turkey calls, think of Houndstooth. Houndstooth Game Calls is a company based right here in Alabama, actually based out of Tuscaloosa, and they have been making some of our favorite turkey calls since 2012. Y'all head on over to their website, see what they got. They got a little something for everybody. They have a huge selection of different mouth calls, different cuts, different read configuration. I like to go on there and get five or six different mouth calls and just run them, see which ones I like the most. You know, some days I might like the KB Hen, some days I might like the Ghost Cut. Some situations I might like the Country Girl Call, you know, that I can cut on really hard where on other situations I might like the all pro that I can get a little bit softer on. Bottom line, there's something for everybody and something for every situation and hey, you can get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls by using the promo code SOP 24. That's SOP 24. Use that promo code. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the podcast. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance, absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at... Uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the true lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50 yard pattern on my gun with the true lock choke is unbelievable. Like everybody's jaws were dropping. Like when I, we were out there with Mike and Sam, we were all super impressed. I mean, it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke. And Andrew, you're shooting the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. It's a great option. The same chokes I have in my shotgun. So guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T-R-U-L-O-C-K-chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with True Lock. Another cool thing I've seen you do is uh, you do like almost these like graphic, almost like educational uh, looking prints, I guess they are, uh, where it'll be like a white-tailed deer and yeah. it'll say like white-tailed deer and have like all these facts or whatever on it. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because those are really neat, especially like to put in like a kid's room or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, th- those are a, a series of, of paper prints and posters that we came up with and you know, as an artist, you're always trying to find new things and you can, you can do great art and you can be commercially successful and, and, you know, feed your family and, and, um, hire employees and stuff. And sometimes those two don't always line up. Like, you know, you've got to balance the the creative side versus the, I've got to run a business and create products that people want. And so that was a little bit of a blend of those two where I took my, uh, graphic design skills and blended that with some fine art stuff that I've created and my passions as a, a deer and turkey hunter and created some prints that are, um, they're educational. Like there's some art and information on them, but they're really like a, a celebration of the species for lack of a better term. Um, I, I was actually at a, uh, licensing show in high point, North Carolina, the, the company that represents us, that does our tractor supply stuff. I was going to meet them and I saw a, 
it was it was a poster of butterflies, <clears throat> and I don't know if they they it's looked like they photographed them or they freeze dried them and they put them up there. And they, they, it was like a full color deal of all the species of butterflies. And I was thinking, man, what could we do that would be cool in like the hunting arena? So I, I came up with the idea of the waterfowl, the waterfowl species prints where, um, I sketched the heads and an, an action shot of each waterfowl species of every, um, every flyway, all the four North American flyways and put those in a print. And we got, we created that and sold those. So, um, you know, I had that idea and then I remember I, I, my goal was to sketch three species a day and I would do three waterfowl sketches a day. And I did that for about a month and a half. And then you scan those in, you work them into a layout and then, um, you, we get them printed in Virginia. So that, that's kind of a cool combination of, um, it's what I'm good at and what I love to do in a visual print, if that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. Do you do you know what all like species yeah. that you have like kind of under that banner? Uh, yeah. So we've got uh we've got all the uh whitetail or waterfowl species. We've got a uh, grand slam print covering all the four main subspecies of wild turkey. We've got two deer prints and two lab prints, and then we also have some smaller poster versions of that too. So, um, and we're always we're always looking for more. We've got a few more ideas. Um in the hopper right now. But, uh, yeah, the, the, you know, I'm, I'm, I listen to all the podcasts and do all the research and I'm big into, I'm big at everything, like all the stuff that we all do. And, uh, it's cool to be able to actually like take my artistic ability and combine that with some of the, some of the dorky stuff, the, the things that, uh, the things that like friends or wives look at you and you're like, are you serious? Like you actually think about that stuff and, (laughs) talk about that stuff <laughs> oh yeah well and also you know especially with some of those like more educational prints that you've done because i've seen definitely seen the white yeah. one like i've seen that one a ton on social media both with people mm-hmm. that purchase it but also with some of y'all social media campaigns you know it's like some yeah. of those interesting facts and stuff about you know those the different times of the season and just also some of the different species not just whitetail to me is one of those things that yeah. it fits really well especially with like a guy that's got like a man cave or like a a, a hunting cabin or some kind of deer camp um as yep. something else that's other than just kill photos or or you know mounts on the wall that kind of tells like a better story for you know, someone who is actually passionate about whatever species they're hunting. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of interesting because you're really kind of diving into the culture, but also a little bit on the, the educational side of stuff, which is something like, you know, we try to do on the podcast is, you know, trying to help, you know, listeners shorten that learning curve, you know, the guests that we have on in order to become more successful. And it's like some of those prints kind of go hand in hand with that, just from a, an idea to learn more about the game species that you're targeting, but also have something that looks really nice on the wall that, you know, even if yeah. a non hunter can come and look at and they're still like, oh, that's pretty fascinating. I, I didn't know that. Uh, and again, you don't necessarily get that from just a, a, a print itself. Whereas maybe it's just a scene, but some of those more educational prints are really fascinating on that application just from education, uh, but also maybe even opening that curiosity of people that maybe aren't even, again, they're not even hunters, but like, mm-hmm. well, I didn't realize that about like a white-tailed deer or about an Eastern Turkey or, or whatever. Yep. Yeah. They, they really, they're conversation pieces is what they've turned into. And we have, we have a lot of like wives reach out all the time and they're like, you know, I bought this for my husband and all the dudes gather around it when they come and they talk about it and look (laughs) at it. And you know, that's pretty flattering for me. It's like, that's pretty cool. You know, that we could create a, a, a piece 
like that. And, um, and, and the other thing too, is that I've, I use those projects as like a springboard to create all the work. And then we can use that in other different pieces. Like we have some, you know, some educational content we kick out on social media. Um, and, and all that art and information is used to produce all those other pieces of content. So I want to talk about, and tell me if you had something else that kind of was off subject uh, or compared to where I was trying to go, but you mentioned earlier before we started recording that at one time you also got in like product design or some kind of design aspect as well for certain companies. Um, what's kind of like your background as well with that and how did that kind of apply yeah. towards like your illustrations and everything? Well, the, the graphic design, um, <clears throat> you know, as, uh, as an artist, I'm a communicator, right? Like I've got to convey a feeling or a point or tell a story visually and that can that can happen in a variety of forms. That could be an original oil painting. That could be a print. That could be a, a print ad. Um, and as a as a designer, I learned the technical skills, the programs like the Photoshop, the Illustrator, the InDesign, all the editing programs and stuff that could help do that. And so that was I learned all that stuff when I was working for the Turkey Federation. We were producing. I think we were producing five magazines. So like I was working on Turkey Call, producing the the uh, the Turkey Call magazine. And I started picking up some more illustration content, like um, like a lot of the DIY stuff, like the how-to, like how to, how to field dress a deer. Well, you can take photos of that, but the photos are kind of messy. Like it's just a, uh, it's hard to convey all that stuff in a photo. Whereas an illustrator, I can take it and I can identify and outline only the things that we need to say, you know, the, the, the features of the animal or the process that we need to, to show. And it helps people clearly communicate. Like having a good designer will help clearly communicate a message to your audience. And so that's really what I started doing and got pretty good at. And then when I, let, when I went out on my own, I was doing a lot of work for Winchester and Browning Ammo. And it started with, they would send me like the copy and, you know, some photos and I would just have to make it kind of look pretty and, and make it look like the help tell the Winchester brand story visually, uh, with, you know, textures and photos and colors and all that kind of stuff. And then I really, really got into doing a lot of their branding start to finish. So like they would, if they're launching a new, like they came out with 350 Legend a few years ago, they'll come to me with like literally like a PowerPoint of the the prototype stuff. Like here's what we're going to launch next year. And most of the products that I was working with these companies on were things that weren't even, the public didn't even know about yet. We were long in advance of that. And so I'd help them come up with their logo, come up with their messaging. Um, they, you know, Winchester will send me, you know, prototype rounds of ammunition that literally don't even have a primer they're straight out of the out of the the r&d department and they'll send them in for photo shoots and i'll i'll hire a, a photographer and you know i'd sit there with brasso um with uh white latex gloves with brasso hand polishing all the rounds setting them up in photo shoots uh we'd light it um and then take the photos then I would do all the post-production editing in Photoshop and then submit those and put them in a catalog. So, you know, 
probably 90% of the images that you, like if you walk into a Bass Pro or Cabela's and see a Winchester end cap with ammo in it, I probably shot and edited that photography for them. Um, and I'd write copy. I'd do all kinds of stuff for them, basically to help them tell a visual story. And then as I got better and better at it, it literally got to a point where a company would just send me their prototype product and I would have to do all of it. The, the package design, the logo design, write and copy, print ads, everything. And, and I really liked that aspect of it. I thought that was a cool, it's a cool to, it's, it's obviously a cool creative process, but I also enjoyed like working on it behind the scenes before the public ever knew about it. And I thought that was a pretty cool part of it. Yeah. And it's something that's, I guess, um, you know, being in that part of the industry and kind of seeing like that uh, a product launch and, and taking part in that is kind of fascinating. And also, like you said, telling that visual story, because that's the thing. It's like, you know, like on a podcast, give you an example, you know, podcasts, you know, it's pretty easy to tell that story. It's not visual necessarily until we get doing some filming podcasts, but um, like just being able to tell the story through your words versus telling your telling the story through an image. Um, that is something that's kind mm-hmm. of fascinating and being able to do that in, in a good light, but also uh, make it where when somebody sees that product, sees that image, sees that marketing, they're very easily, they can very easily understand full application, the, the, the background of, you know, how that product is, uh, you know, kind of being marketed, but also, um, you know, kind of yep. see themselves being able to use that product. And you got to do that in a very short window of time. It's not like you have two hours to be able to <laughs> explain something to somebody. Um, so yep. the, yeah, that, that is really kind of fascinating. Now, did you ever do anything on the firearm side as well, uh, outside of just ammunition? Very little, you know, Winchester and Browning are, are, are like different companies. So like, like Winchester and Winchester ammunition are different companies. Browning and Browning ammunition are different companies. So most of what I did was for Winchester ammunition. Uh, the Winchester firearms had its own agency, its own stuff. And there was a little bit of crossover. Like when we would do photo shoots for Winchester ammo, they'd ship in guns as props and obviously they want those to be Winchester guns too. So, uh, we would do that, but I didn't do any work specifically for like Winchester, uh, firearms other than shoot them and stuff like that. There was a lot of crossover too. So, um, you know, if, if, if we had a photo shoot, we'd have to have other props and, and, you know, I hired models too. Like there was a time we hired models and we'd hike up into the mountains and do photo shoots and stuff. And, um, there was a lot of crossover between my other, uh, other companies that I, that I worked with too, that we could work into the same shoot. And one of the cool things we have now is that I've got art, like fine art on the boxes of all Winchester ammunition, like all the hunting rounds, Uh, that are on retail store shelves now. So, you know, for a long time, I would just design the package, like the actual carton that it's on. And now I've got some of my fine art on that packaging. So um, there's a lot of tie-ins when you start getting into how this stuff is created and how it comes to be. There's a lot of different tie-ins with product and design and painting. By the way, did you help do anything with the uh, Winchester uh, XR, the, the turkey load when they came out with that? Uh, did you have any, the long beard? Uh, yeah. 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 Long beard XR. <laughs> yep. Um, I illustrated the box actually. It, it's funny you mentioned that cause that was one of the first projects that I ever did for Winchester on a freelance basis is they needed, uh, they needed an illustration of two turkeys for the box. And so the, the, the anniversary package that's out this year is actually one of my paintings, but the very first one that they did was uh, 
was a, a vector illustration file that I did for him. And I helped him on all the behind the scenes, the back end, the print ads to launch that that deal. So very cool. Very cool. Now I, I've got to, we've got to talk about when it comes like your background, you know, doing all these illustrations, doing the paintings and everything. How has that changed? Like with what you do hunting wise? I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing since this is, you know, been your career now for uh, what, what are you doing? Probably what, almost 18, 20 years now at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So how how has how has this changed like what your images are uh, like when you go hunting you mentioned earlier like you're always carrying a camera with you're always kind of thinking about that but has it changed the way you've hunted as in like are you specifically say like whitetail hunting or even turkey hunting or do you ever go into a hunt thinking like how can I like not only try to go be successful you know taking you know whitetail or, or turkey or whatever but also try and do it in a scenic background like do you ever like kind of pay attention to like where you're wanting to go and hunt and, and kind of think of it like before you even get there of like, how could I potentially use this, uh, for inspiration for, you know, future prints or anything like that? Yeah, that's a great question. I try not to, um, <laughs> I try to, <laughs> I try to just go set up on one where I can kill them, you know, but, uh, <clears throat> um, yeah, I found, you know, it's like we were talking earlier. It happens when you least expect it. And I have tried to force inspiration before and it just, just doesn't happen. Doesn't work. Like it, like, um, I can, I can think I'm going to go figure out what I'm going to paint. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go into the woods today and figure out my next Turkey painting. It doesn't really happen that way. It doesn't happen well that way. Um, a lot of times I found like my mindset shows up in my work. <clears throat> and so if I'm in a good place mentally and I'm not spread too thin and I, you know, I've, I can really soak in that scene and really sort of, um, experience that hunt, that'll show up better in my work. And if I try to force it, usually I can tell like a lot of, a lot of, you know, just first time viewers and fans and stuff wouldn't be able to tell, but I can tell I'm like, man, I forced that. And I tried to make something happen there that probably I should have just waited or been more patient, just like hunting. <laughs> I forced a lot of stuff in the Turkey woods. I'm like, I probably should have waited that one out. But, uh, yeah, but I I um I appreciate hunting more than I ever have just because we've gotten busier, our operations busier, busier. I've got a 6 and 3 year old. Um I ha I have sort of started to come full circle where like man, when I was at the Turkey Federation, I I used to be jealous of all the editors because they would get to go on like free hunts all the time. And, uh, you know, the designers never got to do that stuff, but they'd get invited by like Winchester, go to Texas on the King ranch and killing Rios and stuff like that. And I'm like, man, that sucks. Like, I want to be able to do that, <laughs> but that, that also would come with a lot of strings, you know, like they're expected to write articles. They're, they're working the whole time, you know, and even though, yes, they're hunting and killing a Turkey, they're, they're working, they're, they're doing their thing and, you know, making connections and networking and writing stories and I've gotten to the point where I just appreciate being able to go to go. And I don't want to have to, you know, it just kind of gets icky sometimes when, when your work ties comes over into hunting and, you know, you're thinking about like, what could I do that could be cool on social media while I'm in a deer stand? And you don't want to do that. You just don't want to go there. And I, I've really tried to slow down and appreciate the times that I have, um, 
outdoors. Like I only want to hunt with people that I like and like to be around now. Um, so I'd, I'd rather go hunt. I'd rather take Rhett and go try to kill a turkey and jack around with him than I would go on the most prestigious hunt ever with people I don't like and feel like I have to force it and work the whole time, you know? So, um, and I think that comes with age too. You know, you just start to appreciate some of the little things a little bit more than you did before. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Ryan, where is where are some places that people can go and kind of look at some of your artwork? And then also, I want to talk about the giveaway that we're going to do with you. Yeah, man. Uh, well, I mean, Ryan Kirby Art is our uh, handle on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and we got TikTok now. We're on TikTok. That's cool. Uh and uh so but ryankirby.com is our website um we really don't have a lot of other places you can see my work there we've got some stuff in tractor supply that'll come back out this fall uh but ryankirby.com is usually the best way to do it um you can sign up for our newsletter and that's where we launch all of our new stuff so okay cool um now the the giveaway item yeah. so uh do you do you know which one you're wanting to give away because we're going to give away a piece of artwork with you like for this podcast uh and we'll do a little bit of information on that in a minute but do you know which one uh it'll be well what the title of it is oh yeah so the the yeah the growth and maturity of the whitetail buck has been our top seller for like four years now and it's our number one whitetail print. It's it's kind of the piece that we've become known for, and uh, that's the one that's the, it's the biggest conversation piece. And I really I really wanted to have like something cool that we could give away, something that means something to to me, and I think will will resonate best with your audience. So the growth and maturity of the whitetail buck. It's a twenty by thirty paper print, and we're gonna we're gonna offer it framed. So it'll be framed in our timberline framing. And I will, um, I'll get you guys images. You can kick kick out on social media and all that kind of stuff too. Um, but yeah, so it's, uh, it's been our top seller, number one, most popular, and we're going to do a giveaway with you guys on it. So, um, you guys will announce the giveaway and then we'll drop ship it from my studio. Yeah, I'm excited. I was hoping it would be that one because uh, that that is a great painting where like if you have like a nicer hunting club or, or whatever, or you have your own property, it just goes mm-hmm. in like the camp house so well, you know, because a lot yeah. of people have like like the old QDMA uh, diagrams of like mature bucks yeah. and everything. So yeah, it, it, it's a perfect thing. And for people to figure out how to enter that giveaway, you can go down to the description of this podcast or you can go to our Facebook or our Instagram and you'll be able to find all the details over there. But yeah, excited to be giving that away. So dude, we appreciate that, man. Uh, and, and also it's been really fun talking to you, kind of getting to know you a little bit more in your background and and uh, and kind of learn a little bit about like the background of the hunting industry. That's, that's pretty, pretty yeah. interesting topics you know like kind of how things work in the background as far as like the marketing materials like i had no idea that you're like polishing bullets and stuff oh dude <laughs> like ammo ammo is disgusting like when you really look at it and <laughs> and we're we're shooting on macro lenses and stuff so things that you're that you cannot see with your naked eye are showing up there like they'll hit a glare and you'll see scratches and stuff and um yeah, I, I tell people, I I tell uh, my marketing guy at Winchester, I was like, man, there's more Photoshop work in a bullet picture than any Victoria's Secret catalog you've ever seen in your life. Like, <laughs> I gotta I gotta get all the nicks and dings and blemishes off, and and uh, and it, it is cool because, you know, we all like to think that we're cool and we're trendy and we have the latest and greatest product, but man, 
anything that you're buying now was developed two years ago or at least a year. And there's people that are forecasting that stuff. They have to get it produced. They have to do prototypes. They have to do the marketing. So by the time you see like a new, by the time you see an advertisement for a new product, man, that thing's been in the work for two years and you're just the first to see it. And I, I would always get so sick of like, I would do some outdoor life covers and people would be think they're so cool. Like, Oh man, I saw the new outdoor life cover. And I did that thing eight months ago. And I've, I'm so tired of looking at it cause I've seen it so many times, but, uh, it's cool for people to see it for the first time. And then you start to realize, yeah, it is pretty cool. And I'm, I'm glad I worked hard and put my best effort into it. Cause it means something to people when they see that. So. Yeah, man, absolutely. Well, Ryan, we appreciate you coming on, man. This has been fun. Uh, you got anything you want to leave the listeners with? Uh, no, check us out on YouTube too. We're doing a lot more content. Um, we're filming a lot of behind the scenes stuff that I think people will think is really cool, uh, the day to day. Um, and we just started the new art of hunting podcast, which I'm going to, uh, definitely want to have you guys on. Cause I've got a ton of questions I want to ask you guys too. Yeah, so the art of that's what I was gonna bring up is the art of hunting podcast. Y'all just launched it. Um, yeah. Currently, uh, when this episode comes out, or, or y right now, are y'all doing biweekly episodes? Or are y'all doing weekly episodes? Kind of how are y'all structuring the podcast currently? We're doing weekly. So every Tuesday we film the podcast. We usually have it up by Wednesday or Thursday, and then Zach edits the video, and that'll be up by the end of the week every week. So awesome. Perfect. So yeah. So I guess uh, listeners, y'all can check that out. Uh, oh man, listen, this uh, Andrew, that cover art, that cover gum. art looks fantastic, Shoot, dude. Man, I need to get you to do our cover art. Yeah, <laughs> man. Yeah, on, on the podcast, that looks killer. But yeah, so listeners, uh, y'all can check out the Art of Hunting podcast uh, with Ryan Kirby on all major listening platforms, and be able to watch the video side of the podcast. I guess on YouTube as well. But um, Ryan. Greatly appreciate yep. you coming on the podcast, brother. It's been an awesome conversation. And again, uh, listeners, check out the show description down below for details on the giveaway. And uh, Ryan, thanks again, man. And we'll uh, catch all the listeners back here on the next episode from the Southern Outdoors and Podcast. Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool. I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right. Giving you a heads up here. So go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the the like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.